this sentence for me. God helps those who... It's terrible. You know, right, that that is the antithesis of the gospel. I mean, we know that's a, it's a saying, but it is, the gospel is, is not about God helping those who help themselves. If we can help ourselves, we don't need God. And in fact, that's very often what happens. People who think they can help themselves have no need for God at all. Uh, I rem- and just so that you know, it's not, that, that's not in the Bible. It's not a verse that you're quoting there. I remember several years ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Kloof, and uh, there was a ta- I was waiting for someone, there was a table next to me, about six or eight people, four, three or four couples, and very clearly from the loud conversation they were having, all their kids, all their daughters, were at St. Mary's school, and there was much moaning and complaining, because I, I don't know how it all works, but St. Mary's is attached to the church somehow, and it seems like the church needed to raise funds for something that was broken, and they were asking the parents in the school to assist in raising funds for the church and, and these parents, this group of parents, clearly not churchgoers, were very unimpressed with the idea that how, how dare the church ask us for money. And you know, we pay these school fees now, the church wants more money for us, and, and they were quite indignant about it. And um, as the conversation progressed, one of the guys at the table said, After all, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? And I, I, I was tempted to jump up and say, no, it doesn't. But I restrained myself and just left them in their ignorance. Um, there's no way in the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves. What we do find in the Bible is that God helps the helpless. He does that. And what we're going to find this morning, and this will make a great bumper sticker for you, is that God helps those who help the helpless. That's who God helps. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who help the helpless. And with that in mind, we're going to turn to Psalm 41 this morning. Now, um, we started this series of hashtag blessed a couple of weeks ago. By the way, did you enjoy Brian these last two weeks? Yes. Uh, It's always nice to have something different, eh? Instead of hearing my voice all the time. So thank you, Brian, for filling in for me last two weeks. Psalm 41, we've been talking about hashtag blessed. And and these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about kind of an inward look at things. Uh, Blessed is the one whose roots are deep set in Jesus. Blessed is the one whose sins have been forgiven. Blessed is the one who clings on to the Lord. And so there's been a lot of this, this kind of blessed internalizing stuff. Me and Jesus, touchy-feely, this is all nice and good. And what we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're going to turn things inside out a little bit and look to see that God blesses not just us and how we're going on inside, but how we respond to the world around us. And so I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version, slightly different, just because I like one of the words in translation that it uses. Psalm 41, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. 
When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. So in our hashtag blessed today, it's hashtag blessed are the poor or hashtag the poor. Now, different translations of the Bible come up with different translations for that first verse. Blessed, I read this morning, blessed are the poor, or blessed is the one who considers the poor. Some translations say blessed are those who, who consider the needy or the helpless. And it's one of those Hebrew words, it's a little tricky to translate. And in fact, if you go back to the chapter before that, to the psalm before that, in chapter four, uh, 40, verse 17, it says, I am poor and needy. Kind of combines all of it all in one one, uh, all in one neat little phrase. It, mean, it, it kind of means something like those who are on the fringes or on the edges of society. Those who are in danger of falling off the edge and vanishing without a trace. The vulnerable, the ignored, the, the almost invisible, the looked down upon, the poor. And while in our society those on the fringes are ignored and avoided... In God's economy, blessed are the poor. Jesus said those very words in Luke's gospel. And perhaps more importantly for us today, blessed are those who consider the poor. And so today, the big pointy stick of today to poke in your eye is just this. Do you care for the poor? In any way at all. Do you care for the poor? Most often on Instagram and Facebook, when you see the hashtag blessed thing, it's hashtag blessed, look at what I've got. Hashtag blessed, new car. Hashtag blessed, holiday in Cape Town. That was me last week. Hashtag blessed, just saying. But Psalm 41 doesn't have a picture of Table Mountain in cloud in the background. Psalm 41 has a picture of an impoverished guy at a shack. With you holding out your hand, saying, hashtag blessed. You want to be blessed? David says here, blessing doesn't come from chasing your dreams and following your heart and reaching for the stars. David says, blessing doesn't come from grabbing all you can and living in that comfy house with air conditioning. As much as we would all have liked air conditioning this week. Blessing comes... When we consider the poor. And when he says consider, he doesn't just mean when you think about the poor. But when you actually do something about poverty and need. And I guess the the corollary of this is that those who don't consider the poor, those who help themselves instead of the helpless, are not blessed. And if you live by that axiom of God helps those who help themselves... You've missed the blessing. And you may be helping yourself, and you may be dipping in and helping yourself more and more and more, but the more you help yourself, the less you find that God helps. 
So David wrote this psalm, and we're guessing again once more in a time of trouble. He's in his sick bed, it seems. He's weak. Um, and there's all sorts of plots being hatched against him. He's talking about traitors. He's talking about people who are waiting for him to die with eagerness and delight. So there's some suggestion that maybe it's written at the time, around about the time of when Absalom uh, set out his coup. There was a guy at the time called Abiathar, I think he was one of the priests, and he started off as David's friend and then moved over to the dark side, betrayed David, and goes over to Absalom's team. And Absalom and Abiathar are hoping that David will die and that they can take over the kingdom. David is not well, he's sick, he ends up having to run away. And in the midst of all this, David writes the psalm and he says, Those who care for the poor are blessed, but I'm surrounded by my enemies. And it doesn't look good, but I know that God will rescue me. That, that's kind of, that's kind of how, the simple outline of the psalm. God helps the poor, I'm in trouble, God will rescue me one day. And so three parts to the psalm that we'll, we'll touch on this morning. What I know, what I experience, and what I hope for. What I know for sure what I experience, which doesn't always seem to match what I know, and what my future looks like, what I hope for one day. And so here's what we know in those first three verses. The one who helps the helpless is considered blessed. And so let me, let me remind you of this. I, I say it once in a while, but I'll say it again this morning. Everyone sitting in here right now is not poor. There is not a single person here that is poor. And every time I say that in church, someone will come to me afterwards and say, but Chris, you don't understand my situation. You really don't understand. So let me just say here that the vast majority of us here this morning, 99% of us, and you can figure out where the extra 1% goes, 99% of us represent the top 10% of wealth in our country. All right? And I know you struggle each month. I know you struggle to pay the bills. And I know that ESCOM wants to jack up the bills and give us less electricity for the same amount. And I know that actually the petrol price is going down this month, so you're doing fine, right? And I know that, that taxes are high and that they're going to tax you even more in a couple of weeks' time when we get the new budget. And, and I, I know that bread prices go up and that you can't buy fillet steak anymore and you have to do with rump steak. I, I understand the, the difficulties that you face. But you live in a house made of bricks. I've got pictures. Oh, the pictures are already up this morning. There you go. Most of you have a car and you park the car in a garage. And the, the structure that you park your car in is better than what 40 million people in our country live in. Right? Let that sink in for a moment. Your car gets better treatment than 40 million people. I deliberately chose a picture of a nice shack. But you know that that really is a nice shack. And even a nice shack is not as nice as the garage that most of us park our cars in. 55% of our country, that's around about 30 million people, live on 1,000 rand a month. 1,000 rand a month. 25% of our population, 15 million, live on 500 rand a month. 500 rand is the bare minimum required to feed an adult for a month. That's what the statistics and whatever tell us. 
15 million people don't even have enough to feed themselves. That's poverty. Struggling to pay your million rand bond is not. And yet we think that servicing the bond and holidays in Cape Town is the sign of the spiritual life. And God says, no, care for the poor is. And it's all through scripture. You read the Proverbs. The Proverbs are full of, of, of how we are to care for the poor and give to the needy and be generous. The law of Moses it makes ample provision for those who are on the fringes of society and, and instructs the people of Israel how to care for the poor. The book of Ruth is an entire book about how those on the very edges and fringes of society are rescued from starvation. And Jesus tells us, blessed are the poor. James tells us that it is true, true religion is this, that we care for widows and orphans. So to be very practical this morning, how can we help the poor? Because we're starting to think, well, do we give money to guys at, at, at the traffic light? Is that what it is? I'll give you some very uh, simple opportunities here. You can speak to Dan and Kerry. I'm sorry they're not here this morning. There's a couple of pictures of their farm. Dan and Kerry run a model farm just down the road from Kieran and Stacy. Um, and their model farm is just on a small piece of land. And they're showing that you can do sustainable farming without expensive chemicals, without expensive fertilizer, and that on a small piece of land you can feed a family. And so they've grown, they, they've just got a couple of interns this week where they come for a few days, learn some of the, the, the methods, whatever, go back home and put into practice so that they can feed their families. You can speak to Dan and Kerry and say, how can we help? There's lots that they, that they would benefit from, from your input. You can help Dan and Kerry. Or you can speak to Jenny, next thing, about, uh, about NEMA, and about the NEMA Foundation, and about uh, literacy in schools that is now being run in how many schools, Jenny? 40, 50, 60? 50 schools around the country. You can speak to Jenny and say, how can we help? Can I come once a week and do some photocopying once a month and staple some books together? Or you can speak to Hannah and go and visit Dawiri School with her and Georgina. And you don't need to go every week, but you can go and help once a month. And you can go down and do literacy at Dawiri School. And I said this a while ago, Hannah is 79 years old. What's your excuse? Right? And this week, it was 34 degrees... And it's a steel roof with no ceiling and about 35 or 40, 40 little bodies in that room. And you can help. Or you can have a word with Roswita and ask her about the orphanages that she goes and visits. And you can go and join her and visit orphans. And not do anything, just, just go and visit with the children at the orphanage. There's, there's so much in our little church that we can do, that we can be part of. Well, how about this? Let's talk about someone who's not here because it's awkward to talk about people who are here, but we can talk about someone who's not here. Let's, let's talk about this guy. Let's talk about Voyo. A lot of you know Voyo. He's not here this morning because he's at the Methodist Church and he's helping there with teaching Sunday school because they have 20 kids from Moweni that come up. And before he helps him with Sunday school, he helps him with the music because... They don't have what we have musically in their church. And he's often said he'd like to come here and sing with us. And I've often said I'd love you to come here and sing with us because, man, would it only help. But he's serving at the Methodist church. 
And he comes to Hillcrest Hospital with us once a month. And he is the best interrupter I've ever had. He is, he is hands down, he is fantastic. He was an absolute hit on our trip to Port St. John's at the end, uh, halfway through last year. He, was just, he, he made that thing happen. Um, and, uh, I mean, he comes to church camp. That was in the church camp last year. And we all love him when he's at church camp. And he lives in a shack. Not a nice shack like I showed you. He lives in a shack. And when it rains, he has to go and stay with his sister in her shack because his shack leaks so much. And he has to come home the next day and hang out his, his bedding and his mattress to dry. And he's 25 years old and trying to finish matric. Uh, somebody at the Methodist Church has sponsored him at a homeschool. He was hoping that he could finish that and be a nurse, but the homeschool doesn't do life, what, um, um, life, life science. And so he's ended up doing tourism in the hopes that he will get a job in tourism. A few years ago, he started a creche. And it was in just a lean-to structure, and the Robin Hood Foundation got involved, and they built a proper structure for him. There are 20, 30 kids that go to that creche every day. He now doesn't run it, but he's on the, on the board for that creche. And they're looking for five or six mattresses so the two-year-olds can have a morning nap. And if you'd like to buy a mattress, it's about 250 rand. Please give Ronnie a call. He unfortunately can't be here this morning because he wrote off his bucky this week and broke his hand. Um, but uh, please give Ronnie a call. He's got a contact and five mattresses. Five of us here could easily cover the cost of, of mattresses in a school for the little kids. And Voyo spends time at the creche and he's trying to get a homework club going again because last year the little homework club going that, that he had going that was in a tarpaulin structure, the tarpaulin structure got blown away in a storm. And so he's trying to gather a bunch of grade fives, 10 or 12 grade fives, to help them with their homework because they too are illiterate. And he's trying to do that. And, and, and did I mention that he, he lives in a shack? And he's our brother. And you park your car in something better than he lives in. And you can scroll through. There's a couple more pictures of the, of the, uh, the, the creche there. And that there, that's a piece of land that had been offered to Voyo. And you'll be amazed at how cheap and inexpensive that piece of land is. But it's beyond Voyo. But it's not beyond us. And he, he dreams one day of building a house on that piece of land. And being able to run a feeding scheme from that piece of land. And when you go and see him at his shack, all the kids are, Hello Voyo! Hello Voyo! Hello Voyo! And he's our brother. And of course, he's not the only person attached to our church that lives in a shack. And God helps those who help the helpless. So if I make you feel guilty this morning yet, okay, I'm, I'm going to lift the burden later because I don't want you to feel guilty. That's not the point, all right? The gospel is not about guilt. We'll, we'll fix it in a moment. But I just want to leave that like sitting on you. That we are not poor, we are rich. And that the Bible leaves us with an obligation as those who are rich to help the poor. And we've got to ask, what are we doing to consider the poor? Because God helps those who help the helpless. 
And what David says here in the psalm is that God does something for those who care for the poor. It's not just that God cares for the poor, but that God helps those who help the poor. And David lists a bunch of things here. There's six things that will come up on the screen in a hurry. God delivers such a person from their day of trouble. God protects such a person. God calls such a person blessed. God rescues such a person from his enemy. God sustains him in his sickness. And then there's a rather interesting translation of the very last line of verse 3. Here it says, in his illness you restore him to full health. I think the Jerusalem translation of the Bible says that he makes the bed of those who are sick. You remember when you were a child and you were sick and you had fever and your mom came into the room and put you in the bath and when you got out the bath she had remade the bed with clean sheets and fluffed the pillows and you get into that bed and it's, you feel better already, don't you? Or when you've got really bad man flu, right? And you're lying in bed and you call, honey, honey, and she comes and she says, what's wrong? And you go, I called, and you didn't answer. And she fluffs your pillows for you, right? Do you know that feeling? We've been told that God allows ladies to suffer the pain of childbirth. So that they know just how bad man flu really is. <laughs> and David says, this is what I know. That this is what God does for those who care for the poor. David says, blessed is the one who cares for the poor. This is what God does for such a person. If you invest your time and your effort and your energy and your money in helping the needy, this is God's response. Now I want to be careful, right? God is not a vending machine. This is not a case of go home and give somebody the charity and wait for blessings to drop out of the sky for you. But there is something in the scriptures about sowing and, re- and reaping, isn't there? There is something in the Bibles about the blessing that there is in giving. If you spend your life helping yourself, when trouble comes, you will have to help yourself. You'll have to fluff your own pillows and make your own bed. But if you spend your life helping the helpless, then when you are helpless, God will sustain you. I read this week 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Again, there that same word that Jesus will sustain us. I love that word, sustain. It's when you're playing piano, keyboard, and you've got that sustain pedal and you, you hold it down and it, it, it carries the, the tune on it. it. It holds the note. It's not that God guarantees quick recovery and instant results, but that in the middle, he will sustain you and hold you for the long time, for the long haul. He sustains. This is what I know. However, have you ever found that sometimes it seems like what the Bible tells us doesn't match with what you experience? 
Have you ever had those moments? The Bible tells us one thing, but my experience is something completely different. The Bible says he heals all my diseases, and I have just the worst case of man flu ever. Right? Have you ever found that the, just, the, the two just don't seem to match? In the first three verses, David says, this is what I know. This is what I know about the character of God. This is what I know about how He works. This is what my theology tells me of who God is. But then he says, but this is what's happening to me. And it doesn't seem to match. Because what's happening to him is he has been betrayed. He's been abandoned by his friends. He's sick in bed when didn't God tell him that he's going to rise from the dead, from, from the bed? He's about to lose his crown. Doesn't God say that he will rescue and restore? And yet that whole section from verse 4 to verse 10 is bookended by the same little phrase. Do you see it in the Bibles? Do you see that little phrase? The same phrase that's repeated, beginning and end. O Lord, be gracious to me. See, there are times when you and I, when we're in trouble. And when our enemy seems to have the upper hand, and, and when I say our enemy, I don't mean the mean person down the road or your political nemesis. But I mean the enemy of our souls. And to be honest, the enemy within. Our own folly, our own pride, our own flesh. And there are times when it looks like the enemy will win. There are times when, we're over, there are times when the little voices in our head just seem to swamp everything else. And there are times when we find ourselves in trouble, and often in trouble not through our own fault, just life happens. There are times when it feels like we're drowning and it's hard to keep our head above water. And the reality is, despite what I said earlier today, that it's really hard to pay the bond sometimes. And you need to pay the bond because we, you, you, got, you don't want to lose everything. And trouble comes. And in those moments, we're tempted, I know we are, we're tempted to say, where is God? I thought he was going to deliver. I thought he was going to get me out of my sick bed. I thought he cured disease. I thought God provided. Didn't we just read that he delivers from trouble? And what does David do? What does he appeal to? Does he say, hey God, remember me? Remember how I cared for the poor? Because blessed are those who care for the poor. They get all this stuff. Remember what I did for the poor? You owe me, God. Because David could have done that. Remember when I lived in the caves, God? When I gave up comfort to live in caves? And in those caves, I, I assembled a band of, 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 of rangers. And we went out and we protected the villages of Israel from the attacks from the Philistines. Remember how we did that? Remember how I, I rescued Abigail? Don't I deserve some payback from that, Lord? Don't I deserve, you know, I cared for the poor. But David doesn't do that, does he? Because that's not how our faith works. That's how, that's how empty man-made religion works. That's how pharisaical righteousness works. I've done something, now I deserve in return. It, it's a quid pro quo relationship. I give and you, and you give so that I get. What I put in is what I get out. But that's not our faith. And yet there seems to be something inbuilt in all of us. That that's kind of the, I don't know, it's a standard operating system that we work off of. But God, I gave, I prayed, I went, I did. Don't I deserve something in return? 
But David just doesn't play that card. David's prayer is not, look what I did. His prayer is, be gracious to me. His plea is for grace. His plea is for undeserved favor. Not deserved wages, not payback, not what, I, uh, what I've earned. God doesn't throw into God's face all the good things he has done. He simply prays, oh God, be gracious to me. Oh God, don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. Give me, treat me as I don't deserve. Oh God, be gracious to me. And because of that prayer and because of grace, David is able to look ahead with confidence. He knows the nature of God, that God delivers and rescues, heals and sustains. He sees his current situation of distress and appeals for grace. And he looks forward with confident hope. This I know. And how wonderful faith is that we can say, this I know. In the midst of trouble, betrayal and uncertainty, to be able to say, but this I know. And what does David know? He knows, he knows a few things. He says, but this I know. I know that God delights in me. That God is pleased with me. Again, let that sink into your hearts for a moment this morning. That God is pleased, that God delights in you. Again, I think we have this kind of semi-religious thing going on, that if I did some bad things this week, that God has a bit of a frown on his face. That God God is disappointed with you. That God is like your school teacher. When you didn't quite get the marks that he or she thought you could get. And they write on the report card, a little disappointed in this child and his, you know. Or, or maybe you feel like God treats you as you sometimes find your parents treated you. I'm really disappointed with you what you did. That, that we, we have this idea, this is how God deals with us. Disappointment. But that's not what we read in the scriptures. We read that God delights in us. Not because you're a wonderful person, but because of who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, God smiles, not frowns, on you. God's not lurking in heaven with a couple of lightning bolts ready to to rain them down on you when you step out of line. He delights in you. And so here's David's certainty. He says, my enemy will not triumph over me. Oh, I'll face setbacks, I'll lose battles, but I will never lose the war. The war has been won, my enemy will not triumph. You uphold me. It's that word again, you sustain me. Because we are held firm in the everlasting arms of Jesus. In trial and difficulty, he sustains, he upholds, he does not let us go. And then he says, you will set me in your presence forever. Set in the presence of God. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That which was lost in the garden regained in Jesus. This is our confident hope. So let me finish up. Nearly done. We've outlined this morning the kind of blessing that comes from considering the poor and needy, the weak and the helpless. That this is how God deals with those who help the helpless. That there is a promise to restore and deliver and to sustain. And that when real life intrudes and it looks like we're going under, His grace is sufficient. But we need to see the gospel in this. 
Because I don't, we, we can't go away this morning with the guilt lying on us. And here's what the gospel tells us. Here's what the gospel shows us. The gospel says this, that we are all poor and needy. We are spiritually bankrupt. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, so, so that, sorry, so that you by his poverty may become rich. Right? So you get that, right? We are spiritually poor. We are bankrupt. And Jesus has everything. And he gives up everything and exchanges what he has for what we have. And he becomes poor. He becomes bankrupt and gives to us his riches that we might be rich. Without a clear understanding of the gospel, you look down on the poor. Without a clear understanding of the gospel, we ignore the poor. Without a clear understanding of the gospel, we say to the poor, get a job. Because God helps those who help themselves. So get to work. But when we get the gospel, when we understand that we are poor, when we see the financially poor, we realize that we're looking in a mirror. And no longer do we look down on the poor or try and turn away from the poor, but we, are, we see ourselves in the poor and we identify with the poor. Without the gospel, you help the poor out of guilt. Because I've laid guilt on you this morning and you feel bad. Without the gospel, you feel bad today and you go home thinking, man, I haven't done enough. And you'll maybe go to Google search some kind of charity organization that you can do something for. Or this week you'll stop at the traffic light and give five bucks to the beggar. And then wind up the window and the guilt is lifted. Because you've done something, right? I've done something. I've paid my dues. And all you've got is law and legalistic pharisaical righteousness. But the gospel takes us further. The gospel shows us that every time we see a poor and needy, helpless person, we're seeing ourselves. And we're reminded in that that Jesus gave everything for us. He gave up his riches so that we might become rich. Even though we didn't deserve it. And that inspires us to a different response to the poor. And now when we give to the poor, it's, it's given out of joy. It's given out of gospel joy, not out of burden and, 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 and uh, compulsion. Because I'm just replicating the work of Jesus. I'm just living out the gospel and giving to the poor what has already give, been given to me. If you get the gospel, you get generosity. If you don't get the gospel, you're a begrudging giver. Because I've earned this and you need to earn this too. So I laid it on thick earlier about Voyo. I, I laid the burdens on you. But I want to take the guilt off. Because no one should be guilt-tripped into helping the poor. But the gospel does change that. If you, if you get the gospel, you'll help not because you feel bad. You'll help because you were helpless. Because you're poor. Because you're needy. And because you did nothing to deserve to get what he gave you. And you show grace... Because you've received grace. 
Remember David's prayer in the middle? Be gracious to me. And because we're recipients of grace, having got what we don't deserve, we can give to others who don't deserve either. Because that's what the gospel is. So won't you check your heart this morning? And won't you reconsider what you would call blessed? And won't you consider how you can help the helpless? Because God helps those who... Finish the sentence for me. Help the helpless. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that so often I am so self-absorbed in my own comfort, in my own relative wealth, um, in my own wants and desires. And that so often it's easy to just close my eyes to the need, the vast need around. And the times when, when I do help the needy, so often it's easy to do that out of a legalistic compulsion to feel like I've done something to ease my guilt and perhaps even earn your pleasure. And I confess my shortcomings, my sin this morning. Won't you, O oh Lord, entrench in us once again the gospel? For us to be reminded once again of the great lengths to which our Lord and Savior came. That which He gave that we might find life. Thank you that, Lord Jesus, you gave up your riches and became poor, that in your poverty we might gain your riches. And Lord, I pray, break our hearts. Give us hearts of compassion for the poor. Melt our hearts, Lord Jesus. We pray for our nation today. And when we see the extreme poverty, and when we see the, the, the vast gulf between the rich and the poor, when we see the things that divide, again, Lord, for us, it's, it's so easy for us to criticize. It's so easy for us to, to point the finger at government. Lord, give us hearts of compassion. Moved by your Spirit for the sake of our nation the people you love. And now, Lord, as we leave this morning, may we leave with your blessing. Leave knowing this, that you help those, that you bless those who help the poor. May we leave with your spirit and the knowledge that your Son has given grace. In whose name we pray. Amen. Can we sing before we leave? I was going to not sing, but I think it's good for us to sing at the end of this this morning.
Let's sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Be reminded of him who is our greatest treasure, what he has given for us. Are we waiting for the words to come back? How much of a delay? A long delay? Did you close the system down? Yeah. 
Why don't you join us for a cup of tea or coffee before you leave this morning?